0: in the book of Philemon. We're going book by book through the Bible, and uh, now we are in this book of Philemon, the smallest of Paul's books that he wrote. Of course, John the Beloved wrote 3 John. That's pretty small in 2 John, but the book of Philemon is the smallest that Paul wrote. It's the only one of the 13 books that Paul wrote that he does not include the gospel uh, of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in. And of course, he doesn't really need to He's writing to a man that he led to the Lord, no doubt. And he's writing on behalf of a man that he led to the Lord. And I love this particular thing. It's just a note uh, that, that God gives us in the Bible. And most of Paul's letters are, are written to churches. And uh, But uh, some were written to individuals like Timothy and Titus. But the book of Philemon is just a one-chapter book of our Bible. And it's just a note from Paul to a man who is a wealthy businessman, we believe, in Colossae. And, of course, you've heard the book of Colossians. Now, Paul, to our knowledge, did not go into Colossae. He just won people that lived there. And one of those men was Philemon. But the time that he writes this, uh, he is on house arrest, we believe, in Acts chapter 28, the last few verses of the book of Acts. It says that he lived in a hired, his own rented home, and he was, he was um, guarded by a Roman soldier. During the time that he was there for two years, he was able to have visitors come in and out. And one of those visitors seemed to be a runaway slave named Onesimus. He had visitors uh, like Epaphroditus who came from Philippi to give him missionary gifts and support again, and that's where he wrote back uh, to that letter, uh, the book of Philippians. He wrote the book of Ephesians, and there's where he tells us a little bit about, put on the whole armor of God, and he probably understood about the armor of God because he had a, a Roman guard watching him 24-7. Every day they would come in and he would see that helmet that he would wear. He would see the shield. He would see this this sword. He would see his feet shod with the preparation of of a soldier, but also made those comparisons. He would see the breastplate that he wore. And so he was able to see in real life what he was making the analogy in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. So he was an amazing, it was a good time. He was on quarantine for two years, (laughs) He couldn't leave. He could receive visitors, but he couldn't leave, and he had a Roman soldier that done it. And, of course, that seems to be made by a guy named Julius, a centurion, when he came to drop off all the other prisoners after all the shenanigans that went on from leaving uh, the three taverns and going into into Apiphorum and then on into Rome. He seems to give all the other prisoners over to the Roman guard and says, look, this guy doesn't deserve to be here. Can you work out something? Let's put him in a house. Let him pay, but put him in a house and you know put a guard there. This guy is different. He saved our whole group. 276 of us were on a ship. If it weren't for him, we'd all be dead. Wouldn't he be talking to each other? Do something here. And it looks like the Lord gave him, even though he was under arrest, he had a favorable situation. And then he had the opportunity to write letters. Aren't you glad you have the book of Philippians? Aren't you glad you have the book of Ephesians? And Colossians. And then we have this book, Philemon. Philemon, those four books we know and feel they were written during that season of time. And, um, and we're very grateful for all that God did to get us this, his word. Well, the book of Philemon is unique and that uh, um, it's delivered probably the same time that they take the, the letter of Colossae. Uh, the Colossian letter. So Colossians is close by the city of Laodicea, which is one of the the churches of Asia Minor. And so it looks like to me that Titius takes this letter with, with Onesimus, this runaway slave, to the churches of Colossae at the same time. And one of the pre- predominant leaders of the church, his name is Philemon. Philemon is a man that no doubt Paul had been instrumental in bringing him the gospel or at least helping him in a very crucial time of his life. He said that Paul says that you owe your whole self to me. I saved you. I didn't bring Of course, he wouldn't bring him that he wouldn't save him from sin. But he says, you owe your own life to me because you know what happened. But In his home, Philemon's house, there probably in the Colossae area, he has a church, a house church in his house. But as in the Roman patriarchal uh, system, uh, people who are wealthy owned slaves. As much as 70% of the the Roman Empire, they say, were slaves. So there was a lot of people. It would be like living in America without papers. Okay, without, without registration here and things of that nature and, and they, they were, they were slaves. So uh, this man had a slave and of course it's part of our history as a country and, and oftentimes debated and all kinds of things. I'm just glad that of all, that the, that the, the, God used America to break the back of slavery, not only here, but around the world. It's not. It still exists in some places, but God used our country and its sorry uh, past to, to, to relieve that, not only for our country, but put pressure on the rest of the world to not do it as well, because it was very common practice at this time of history. Well, Philemon has people who work for him that, uh, that are, are his servants. Well, it looks like to me that Onesimus is one of those, and he has done something wrong. He has either stolen from him, he has done something that has cost him a, and been an offense to Philemon. And rather than face the music, he runs away. Now, he may have had a son. There's a lady, there's a lady mentioned, Epaphilia, and then also Archippus, who may have been the son and the wife of um, of Onesimus, I don't know for sure. He, he, he references them in the book. But nonetheless, this guy has taken off from Colossae, and he's found himself in Rome. And either he's introduced to Paul in one of those house visits in that rented house. But somewhere along the line, Paul shares the gospel, and Onesimus gets saved. And the gospel changes him. But Paul was not, suffi- uh, he was not satisfied just to have him saved when he had an issue he needed to deal with. And if you look on your map, you'll see that, that Colossae is over here on the far right and over here, over here closer to Israel. And you have to go to the Mediterranean Sea and all the way through, through uh, underneath the boot of Italy and come up to Rome. So he's a long way from Rome and from, from Colossae. But Paul is telling him, you've got to go back and deal with your fault. If you stole, you know, you got to get straightened out. If you got something going wrong... I know that church. I've been there. I, not that church, but I know those people and Philemon. And so it's an intercessory letter that he writes and says to Philemon, hey, you're an unbelievable servant of Christ. And you'll see kind of sandwiches things. He said, um, but I met this guy named Onesimus. You know his name, don't you? You know who he is? He probably brings some bad feelings when you hear his name. We've got to work on that. And he tells him, you're going to need to receive him. You need to forgive him. He wants to reconcile with you. You need to reconcile with him. And so this is the story. Let's just, I've given you a little background. Let's just begin looking at the book. Can we do that real quickly? Fly your Lehman chapter chapter one. Don't go to chapter two. Just stay in chapter one the entire time, would you? Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother and to Philemon, our dearly, beloved, and fellow laborers. So he introduces himself, and looks like Timothy has a chance to be there as, a, as a, someone who is a part of this letter writing. And to our beloved Aphelia and Archippus, our fellow soldier to the church in thy house. Now that is not a guarantee that that is Onesimus' wife, or it may be Philemon's wife and son, Archippus, is my guest, but I'm not sure if that's true. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention or mention of thee always in my prayer. So basically so much, he's just kind of given an introduction and he says, I'm thankful for you and I pray for you, Philemon. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus Christ, toward all saints. He said, this guy, Philemon, you've got a lot of love and you've got a lot of faith. What good, good combo to have. Verse number six, read it out loud with me, would you please? That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He's just saying, boy, that that we would continue to exchange faith and it would be effectual, acknowledging uh, that God is working in you through Christ. Nine times the name of Christ and the Lord is mentioned in this this quick letter here. I wonder how many times it's been mentioned from this room. How many times do we type today? We type hundreds of words on text. Did we type J-E-S-U-S? C-H-R-A-S-T in our emails? We type that? Do we say that? In any of our conversation? Do we mention Jesus? Do we mention Christ? Boy, the Apostle Paul writes one letter nine times. He mentions Christ. I wonder how many times we would mention him if we were to write something. Something that, it needs to be on the tip of our tongue. It needs to be filled with our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse seven. If we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because of the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. I like the the tenderness there. He says, man, you really refresh other Christians, brother. He kind of set him up, though. You're going to see this in a moment here. Verse number eight, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that, that, that which is uh, convenient, I'd like to continue talking about that, yet for love's sake I'd rather beseech thee. So I'd like to keep talking about all the things I admire about you, but I need to do something because I love, I love God, I love somebody else, I need to ask you to do something. Being such a one as Paul the aged, like Brother Eddie, And now also the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He goes, I'm an old man and I'm in jail again. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He goes, I'm going to talk to you about Onesimus, who I've led to Christ while I've been in my house arrest here in Rome. Verse number 11, which in time past was unprofitable and now profitable to thee and to me. He says, I know his history. I know he was a stinker. I know he was unprofitable. I know he was not helpful to you. And maybe even hearing his name kind of gets you, he owes you, right? He's caused you some conflict. He's caused you some consternation, some contention in your heart. That's the guy I'm talking about. I know he's unprofitable, but now he's profitable, and he can be profitable for you, and he can be profitable for me, Paul says. Verse number 12, let's read out loud together, can we? Whom I have sent again... Because I've made him go back and see you. I've sent him back to see you that, um, that you could receive him as you would receive me. Verse 13, whom I would have, re- have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered to me in the bonds of the gospel. Because I really would rather have him stayed here, but I've sent him back to you because this is what he needs to do. Verse number 14, but without thy mind would I do nothing. If you don't give me permission, I'm not going to do it that thy benefit should not be, as it were, necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he, therefore, departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him. How long? Isn't that great? He said, it may be that God used the challenging time between you and him to make him get away from you for a season that he could live with you. How long? Forever. It could be eternal things. Now, not as a servant, but above a servant. What, would you, what was the next word there? A brother, beloved, especially to me. But how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Now, your brothers and sister, your brothers, sisters in Christ, your brothers together. If thou can count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. If he have wronged thee and owed owe thee aught, put that on whose account? i I'll, I'll do that. Here's the power of the gospel the change him. It's the power of a testimony of, of, of Philemon. But now it's the power of intercession. He says, if he's wronged you, then let me pay for it. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. He says, if you want me to pay it, I'll pay it. But you know, you owe me too. He said, you you know, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was his salvation. I don't know if he was in a pickle with his marriage or pickled through difficult things. But somehow or another, Paul had been used of God to intercede for Philemon. He says, look, if you owe something, you want me to pay it, I'll pay it. But you know, you owe me one. (laughs) That's kind of what happens there, it seems like to me. Verse 20, yea, brother, let me have the joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my vows in the Lord. He said, let let me see you handle this right. Don't handle it fleshly. Handle it in a spiritual way. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. He said, I hope you have a room for me at your house. I want to come visit you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, and my fellow laborers. Would you read out verse 25 with me, everyone? The grace of our Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad we just read a whole book of the Bible? Fantastic. Isn't that great? All right, if you've got your notes real quickly, let's look at a couple things, if we can, make, uh, make notes here together. Verse 21 is a great verse. Having confidence and obedience, I wrote unto thee, that notice thou wilt also do more than I say. As I know that you're going to do better. That's the verse I've picked there as a key verse. You might find another one that might be more applicable. But I want you to notice, first of all, the three main characters, Paul, and he's the soul-winning apostle. Winning souls in, through uh, winning Philemon, and then winning souls of, a, of, a, uh, of Onesimus while he's in jail and being quarantined for two years in jail. He's still getting the gospel to people. By the way, are you using the hard times of your life to still talk to others about the Lord Jesus Christ? That would be a good idea. I'll never forget, one day I had my car. It wouldn't start. Aggravated the fire out of me. I was a young man, just starting out as an assistant pastor and working in a Christian school and went out there to get my my little Mazda GLC, and it just nothing. I had several people try to jump me off. Nothing. I was so frustrated, and the I, I, last thing I needed to do was pay a tow truck driver, but that's what I had to do. I called, the guy came, his name was John Fuller, and John Fuller came, and through that situation, John Fuller, about three days later, had the joy to lead him to Christ, to lead his wife Sarah to the Lord, and to see the Lord do something. Boy, I, I never was more frustrated in my life until I saw what God did. He's good at drawing a straight line with a crooked stick. And unsavory and frustrating circumstances are oftentimes opportunities. Some people see obstacles in every opportunity. Some people see opportunities in every obstacle. May God help us to see opportunities to win people to Christ. And when someone tells you of you a loss of a loved one or things, you ought to think: Is this something God wants me to do? It's why we ought to pray for the loss because it makes us more sensitive to uh, taking opportunities of situation, because there's no one more interested in getting the, lost, uh, the gospel than the Holy Spirit is, and he'll sensibly help you to do that in a very special way. Well, Paul is a soul-winning apostle. Philemon is a wealthy, colossi Christian and businessman. If you wanted to put that there, that will be fine. Onesimus is a converted, runaway slave. He is now saved, but he is a runaway slave. He uh, finds himself in Rome a long way from where he needs to be. And then, of course, through some kind of introduction, Paul gives the gospel to Onesimus. He comes to know the Lord as a Savior. Here's a brief outline, the introduction, chapters, verses 1 through 3. The person of Philemon, verses 4 through 7, here's the thought real quickly. Number one. His love and faith. He was known for a two duet, love and faith. By the way, that's a good thing for all of us to be known for. Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 5, Now the end of the commandment is charity. What's another word for charity? Love. Out of a pure heart. A clean conscience and a faith that is... Unfeigned. Right here, it's a kind of the sandwich there, uh, is love and faith. He says, you have love and faith. This is what he was known for. Number two, he had an obvious Christian lifestyle. His communication, the way he conducted himself was very obvious that he, uh, that he honored the Lord. Number three, Philemon was known for being a refreshment to the saints. He refreshed other people. Are you that way? These are great attributes that we ought to have for us. Number one, do we have faith and love? Are we known for our faith, our consistency, our obedience to God? Are we known for our love for the Lord? Number two, are are we known for our communication, the way we behave ourselves? Is it obviously a Christian lifestyle? Someone were to walk into your office at work, could they know real quickly this guy's a Christian? This girl's a Christian? Could they get in your car and say, you know what? I, I think the Christian's in this car. Uh, could they walk in your house and quickly identify this is the house of a Christian family? These are things that we ought to be. Can they see you for a few moments, listen to you for a few minutes, and say, "Hey, something's different about these people. Are you a Christian?" Just uh, the other night, I was listening to uh, one of our uh, one of our men, uh, Brother um, King, Aaron King. He went somewhere and was eating with some families, and and uh, but the person said to them, "Are you a Christian?" And he said, "Yes, I am." And I thought it was a great testimony for the Lord, a great testimony. And boy, that's the way it ought to be. It ought to be. He had an obvious communication, and then lastly, he was a refreshment to other believers. You see, verses number 8 through 17 is the plea of Paul for Onesimus. The plea for Onesimus is that he would accept him, he would forgive him, and he would preferably let him return back to help the apostle Paul because he was very useful to him. And then the pledge of the Apostle Paul. If he owes something, I'll pay it. And then the conclusion is a few references to some people in verses 23 through 25. A lesson to challenge us. Number one, be a forgiving Christian. Be a forgiving Christian. Everybody gets hurt. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. You have hurt other people. I have hurt other people. And the reason we forgive is because we've been forgiven. I was talking to someone just in recent days, and there was a very grievous thing that took place against him, and he was struggling. He, there was two people involved, and he forgave one, but the other one, he still had him by the throat, proverbially so. And he said, I know I need to forgive. I need not only forgive, but I need to show extreme mercy to them. By the way, God is a God of mercy. If you don't understand the mercy of God, if you don't realize how good God's been to you, you're gonna gonna keep other people on the mat. You're not gonna let them go up, you're gonna make them say uncle. But if you realize how much God has been gracious to you, and by the way, mercy is a great motivator. I beseech you therefore by the, that you present your living sacrifice. Knowing God's mercy upon your life really helps you to be more faithful to serve God, and then to forgive others. I tell you quickly just what Jesus did on the cross to forgive us. Number one, he decided he would suffer for someone else's sin. He made a decision. We sing the song on night bus. Oh, he didn't come down. Oh, no, he didn't come down. He could have come off that cross, but he stayed there. He made a decision to suffer for someone else's sin. Or he said this, they owe me, but I'm not going to collect. If we lay out, man, you owe me but I'm not gonna collect. That's a decision that has to be made. Some people say, well, I just can't do it. No, it's you won't do it. You can do anything God wants you to do. I can do all things through that. Yeah, he strengthens us. So number one, you'll make a choice. I am going to suffer for someone else's decision, and I'm gonna let them walk. They owe me, but I'm not gonna collect. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Number two, on the cross, Jesus prayed for his offenders. He said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. By the way, that's sometimes challenging. Whenever someone has hurt you is to pray sincerely that God would have mercy upon them. Father, forgive them. They know what they did, but they don't know how it hurt me. And and that's just the way it is. If you got mad and blew up at someone and you said some things you shouldn't have said, you didn't hear it, you said it. You didn't receive it, you gave it. So you might know what you did, but you do not know exactly what the person who received it. It's like the guy that nailed the Jesus to the cross. He was on the other end of that hammer. He knows what he did, but he doesn't know what it feels like to have it go through the joints of his hand and the nerve endings and all of that. He knows what he did, but he doesn't know the pain it inflicted. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them on this basis. They know not what they do. Number three... Jesus, and by the way, if you're hurting, if someone's hurt you, and you're thinking about them, you close your eyes tonight, and that's who, that comes to your mind's eye. There seems like they're plastered in the back of your eyelid. You look at them every time you close your eyes. You need to forgive them, and you can forgive them, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you was teaching last night in the Bible Institute and great group, I think 18, 19 students in the class and just a good group of people. But we were reading Luke chapter 11, studying the Lord's prayer, that uh, the model prayer. And while he was praying, one of his disciples, by the way, would we be one of those disciples? I hope I would be one. But uh, only one, one of his disciples went to hell. And I, I'm not sure if there would be one-twelfth of Christians not really saved. They're Christians in name, but they're not really converted. Then I think uh, there's probably about one-twelfth perc- one of Christians are really interested in prayer. One of his disciples the Lord teaches to pray. But he gave him the, the, the model prayer. He gave the model prayer, and he taught him how to pray. What Jesus is telling us, pray for your offenders. He said, if, if you're asking to be forgiven of your sin, then you better forgive someone who's trespassed against you. You're not gonna have that, it can't be like, like uh, you know. I want God to forgive me, but I'm gonna hold this guy over here accountable for what, how, what all he's done against me, what he said against me. Had a sad situation recently, two men of God, but one, one man, they were going to a gathering, they had the same preacher boy, and uh, they were going to the same event, and one of the men of God says, if he comes, I'm not coming. If the other guy comes, he said, but pastor, I want both of you to come because if he comes, I'm not coming. And I think it's sad. And the other fellow's willing to recognize, but he, but he said, well, he, what he said about me hurt me so bad and it hurt my name in the community, so if he's coming, I'm not gonna come. Somewhere along the line, somebody's gotta get spiritual. <laughs> and who's getting hurt there? A lot of people are getting hurt. I think even that man's ministry is hurt. When you hold back bitterness... It's going to cause the problems in your own ministry whenever we do that. And boy, and, and what is the problem? The problem is pride. And when you start praying for someone, say, Father, have mercy. Be good to so-and-so. They, they know what they did. They don't know how much it hurts, hurt me. God, forgive them like you've forgiven me. And then the last thing Jesus did on the cross, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He could have said, into thy presence, into thy heavens, into thy throne. Uh, in, what, he could have said all kinds of things. We would have understood that, but that's not what he said. He said, into, my, into thy hands. What do hands do? They determine how you comb your hair, how much food you put in your mouth what directions you took to get here. You may have wanted to take Seoul to Oakley, or you may wanted to, or State Street, or you might have wanted to, to take Indianapolis, or, or Calumet, or Ridge Road, or whichever one. You decided that with your hands. You control things with your hands. And he said, into your hands, into your control, I commend my spirit. And I think uh, spirit in the Bible is oftentimes referred to as an attitude. My attitude about this event, I'm going to turn it over to your control. And I think for most of us, who if you have a real hard, difficult, painful offense that you're dealing with, you need a watershed moment. You need to get alone with God and pour out your heart and say, God, so-and-so owes me. If I live to be 100, I'll never forget what they did, how they talked about me, how they did what they did to me. They were wrong, they owe me. But God, I owe you, and you forgave me, I want to forgive them. They owe me that I don't wanna collect. And God, I'm gonna ask you right now to forgive them, have mercy upon them, the way you've had mercy on me. They know what they did, but they don't know how much it hurt me. And then God, I'm gonna turn my attitude about this event into your control. I want it to be turned. I think a watershed moment like that is very important. Because if not, you're going to become, if you're not already, a bitter person. And bitterness is a terrible poison that you drink hoping to hurt somebody else. And it just eats you up on the inside. And it can happen to the most beautiful women, the most successful men. It's sneaky. And it's fed by our pride, and it can cause all kinds of problems. And it can complicate your adolescence. It can complicate your marriage choices. It can complicate your your, your ability as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a brother, a sister, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, a servant of Christ, if we don't deal with it. Because the Bible tells us that the root of bitterness springs up, and it troubles us and then it defiles others. There are people who will not hear the gospel because of a bitter mom, a bitter lady, a bitter man. They can't because they're, they're, we're already we're, we're defiling those around us. Boy, some of you girls and men, you love your grandkids so much. Don't give them a bitter grandmother. No, well, I take care of them at Christmas and I do this. Okay, look, you can't, you can't buy and pay, take money to buy for bitterness. It won't work. It's gotta be a forgiveness. And I think here we have an example of Paul teaching Philemon, you gotta forgive. Has he hurt you? Yes, but you need to accept it. Forgive him and I'll help you, but let's work through this thing and we ought to be a forgiving Christian. Then the other two thoughts right here is Christ redeems lives. We see the power of a testimony in Philemon. We see the power of the gospel to change Philemon from being unprofitable to profitable. Aren't you glad the gospel can do that? How many of you think God did that with you? He made you unprofitable and made you a little bit profitable. Would you agree with that? Amen. I'm so glad for the power of the gospel. God redeems lives. And then lastly, love and reconciliation are the Christian way. Love and reconciliation. The whole Bible, I think, is about reconciliation. How does sinful man like me reconcile with a God who's not sinful? And the person is Jesus Christ. For Christ's sake, we ought to forgive.